of just thinking about the futility of idolatry, you have to invent something that doesn't exist, and we've got the best already. You didn't have to invent God, did you? He's more than you can comprehend. But I think Isaiah said, you've invented gods that can't hear, can't see, can't walk, and you keep bowing to them. Why don't you come to the God that can talk, that can hear, that can do something for you? Huh? We don't have to invent our God. Well, we, uh, I thought just while I was praying before service, I thought, you know what? God, this is so wonderful to discuss you in church. You'd think church was about God, not about you. It's about him. This set of notes we gave out the last time, if I have to give another set, they're for sale. But I thought some of you probably didn't bring them and dare not throw them away um, and let me see it. But uh, there's, I'm not going to review those, but uh, we started last time on the Trinity, explaining that our God happens to be one, in a different way than he's three. He's one, we call it in essence, what actually the stuff he's made of, God is spirit. And uh, this God is shared in three distinct persons. And I thought what we would do is just put the spotlight on God the Father tonight. And uh, forgive me for such a lousy job of describing uh, the infinite. Uh, how, I said, I don't even feel like I got to touch the hem of his garment. How do you describe this God? But we'll just uh, have a devotion hour here, and we'll look at these notes, okay? And uh, let's pray. And then what I'll try to do is go about uh, 45 minutes, which exponentially could be anything. And, uh, and then we'll try to have Q&A uh, if you have questions in the area. Uh, and so let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your word. We are grateful for who you are. I thank you for you. I thank you for you. You don't have to do anything tonight. But if you didn't, the whole universe would fall apart. For you through your son are holding all things together by your infinite power. We come to worship you. Our worship is meager, feeble, weak, and not worthy of the greatness of him we worship, but we come. We pray that your word would be made real to our heart as the Holy Spirit. And you, Father, we can't know any more about you than you disclose. You hold the monopoly on what you are. We ask to be taught. Anoint our eyes. Show us wondrous things out of thy law that we may comprehend and render you your just due. In Jesus' name, amen. When you come to this subject of God's uh, godhood, it's used different ways in Scripture. Uh, God is said to be the God of angels. He calls angels sons of God in Job 1 and 2. He's said to be the father of the nation of Israel, Hosea 11.1, 1, used of Christ also. I've called my son out of Egypt. But in Exodus 4, he called the nation of Israel his child. So he had a father-child relationship with them. And uh, then 
Of course, God the Son is the only begotten Son. There's no other sonship in all the Bible that is the same as that between God the Son and the Father. He's the monogonés, the one of a kind of son. Now, all of the sonships, angels, Israel, uh, all creation. He said in Acts 17, God is the father of all creation as its source. But God the Son is the unique son relation. No one shares that. You never become deity because you become a Christian. You never get in that cat. You get in the son, but you don't become the unique son. You're in a family of sons. And by the way, women, uh, you're called sons of God. And uh, when we get to Galatians 4, I hope we could just touch on that for all the feminists and uh, know why you're called a son and not a female. In God's sight, you, he doesn't ignore your gender, but your status is that of a, an adult son. Because in the Bible times, the women never got an inheritance, only the men. So God wanted to let you know, I call you a son because you get as much of the inheritance as the men. And all the women will say, amen on that. You ought to get happy. You ought to tell the women, come back. We've got an inheritance. That's not bad. You don't, it doesn't say, do anything for you because you're so oblivious to what it was to be a woman in 50 A.D., in the Roman world and the Jewish world, where you sat on one side of the synagogue, the men on the other side, and we didn't talk about women being in the will. They weren't in the will. The eldest son, and what the Romans did, rather than to leave their property to a girl, they would go out and adopt a slave that was a male because they didn't want the women to get the goods. Now, today, the women get the goods because they insure their husbands. So you just reversed it. So um, let's just look at some of God's relationships to us. And uh, the first thing I think we need to know, uh, salvation comes out of the Father's heart. And I don't think we all think of that. God so loved the world that he gave up his son. Because don't you kind of think of God as the one that said kill all the babies in the Old Testament or God's the God of wrath, the God of the flood, the God of Sodom and Gomorrah. But guess what? Your salvation comes out of the Father's heart. God so loved you. The Father did. And uh, we give you some verses here. It pleased the Father to bruise his son and to offer him up in a vicious death. It was the Father's pleasure when he watched the son bear your sins. And the father gave the son to do that. He said in Romans 8, I spared nothing to save you. I didn't even spare my son. So you should definitely think of the father as a loving, sacrificial kind of God. Uh, do you take notes? Do you have any paper? Don't, don't use our pew Bibles or anything. Uh, I'll tell you some things about God's love that are, is extra good, but I didn't put it in the notes. But if you're a learner, uh, let me just tell you five things about God's love. Uh, the source of God's love. Uh, it's not in the character of the one he loves. It's in his nature. There's nothing in what he loves that draws out the love. 
the Father loves because God is love. And so the source of the love of God is not, oh, he was so impressed with me. Uh, you know, I went to the prom or I went to the dance to find a good-looking gal worthy of my attention. So you, you got to be sharp, chick, for me to even look at you twice. And we know in, in courtship in younger days, when you're picking all that, what is there about you that ought to pay any attention? And why should I give you a hunk like me? And that's olden days, of course. But source, quality of God's love, it's, it's unconditional. Uh, God does not bestow his love on the worthy, but on the unworthy. It's unconditional. I, I uh, am always melted by this thought, and it's hard for me to comprehend God will never love me any more or any less than he loved me in Jesus. Will you ever be loved less than you were loved in Christ on the cross? How many think you're loved less? And yet I think a part of Christianity is to carry a guilt complex. The church is so good at keeping people guilty because if God doesn't do it, we will. And we invent enough rules that nobody can make it. I asked my dad, why did you get to believe in eternal security? He said, because the people I was going to heaven with made it so that I was walking a tightrope wire across Grand Canyon, and only the strong could make it, and I was too weak. I needed a great Savior. You see, you're a great sinner, but Jesus is a greater Savior. So he won't ever... Uh, I remember one time Frank uh, and I were uh, talking, and, and he, uh, from his background, holiness, we both grew up in similar backgrounds, but he could get introspective and get so down on himself because he's a perfectionist. Uh, I'm not. And the non-perfectionists have more fun. They just settle with average. Anybody blessed just to be average? Like, you know, a guy says, well, you're not real good on the guitar. Well, I'm average. Well, why do you play? I'm average. Well, you're not that real good. I know it. It doesn't bother me. Does it bother you? Well, yeah, it sort of does. Too bad. You ought to put on the backs of your car bumper, I am the proud parent of an average student. Huh? Would you, would you do that? I thank God my, my child got a D plus in algebra. That was the best they could do. But no, no, you know, you know you merit people don't believe that. Uh-uh. You've got to earn my love. You've got to get an excellent grade. God said you were failing when I started loving you. And left to yourself for a minute, you'll fail, and you fail even in the midst of my hand. But my love will never be less than I loved you at the cross. Never will it be less. And it could be never greater. I know you don't believe it unless you believe the Bible. But how in the world do you think God's learned to put up with you? You haven't gotten necessarily better. The longer I'm saved, I get more introspective in some days. I think, wow, I didn't know all of that was in there. He said, it's in there, and it was in there when I saved you. Three, the goal of God's love is the betterment of the one loved. It's to better you, to help you. He didn't need to love you to better him or to improve him. The goal of his love was to rescue us. 
Fourthly, the evidence of God's love is action. God's not just a talker. Uh, David's like Missouri, show me. He's not the talker in our family. I'm the talker. Paul, Larry, not David. David says, show me the deed. I want the deed. Uh, and uh, the evidence of God's love is God so loved that he sent us a love note. No, that he gave up something. Love always with God leads to action. And it was used the same way in the Gospels. The favorite emotional term to describe Jesus Christ was compassion. And it went this way. He felt compassion. That's not enough. And the feeling of the compassion always moved him to do the deed. See, if you never get to the deed, you're just a sentimentalist. I'm just so touched for those kids. Did you mail in any money? No, I just cried a lot. Well, they still starved. Love has got to do the deed. And God said, I did the deed. It cost me something to love you. Um, the extent of God's love is sacrifice. Uh, how wonderful. Uh, let's go to the Father's part in saving us. You remember the last time we broke up in groups and we looked at Ephesians? Ephesians 1. Um, look to, at Ephesians 1. And we're going to let you just pick out the things. I have, let's see, three, four, uh, at least four things. Okay, Roby, Mike, get ready. And look at Ephesians 1. Go. Go. I want to hear the paper. Uh, iPads don't count tonight. Oh, go ahead. Uh, there's four. Okay. Uh, here they are. They're doing. Okay. Ephesians 1. Uh, let's begin with verse 3. Are you there? All right, let's see what the Father does. And I want just individuals just to tell me, just stand up and they'll bring you a mic. This is what you've wanted. Uh, so Ephesians 1, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, tell me what he's did for you in salvation. Go. Somebody get stand, raise he has blessed me. Wait, wait. He's what? Blessed me. Did it say that? Yes. Blessed. Keep on, Ray. You're, on, you're right on blessed. Okay. As where? In Christ. In Christ. Over 170 times the New Testament says you're in Christ. 170. With what? Every spiritual blessing. Do you folks know what all the spiritual blessings are you've got? No, I'm sure you don't. Lewis Chafer used to say there's 33 things you got the moment you believe. Name me some things God gave you the moment you believe. Go. What? Eternal life. Sanctification, inheritance. Redemption, adoption. Power. A, a seat at his throne, Holy Spirit, justified, forgiveness, redemption, joy. Oh, you're on it. You're on it. And who gave you all that stuff? God the Father. He's, he's a little bit nicer than what he's been painted. 
Now, look at what else. Second, after Ray, he's blessed us. What else does he say he gave you in verse 4? Oh, he chose us. You don't realize it, but most of your parents didn't choose you. You just happened. At least that's the way I was described. I never said, you're chosen. No. Mom's pregnant again, as my brothers tell me about. That's what they taught me. You were, we, we adopted you. You're not part of our family. I think. But you know what? Uh, you've been chosen, and guess who chose to have you in his family? The Father. He chose you to be in this family. Uh, let's see what else. Uh, goal is to be holy and blameless. And, and, and uh, right in love, he did what? Now, before you say you don't believe in predestination, at least admit that the Bible says it. Did he predestine you? Thank you. Figure out later what it means. It's something prior to, though. Your destiny was settled prior to the destiny. According to his mean intention. What? His good pleasure. Wow. Let's go to John 6, since we're in the book of John. Didn't David do a great job today? Praise the Lord. Great job, David. You owe me lunch for that compliment. That was wonderful. Uh, John 6. Somebody read verse 37. Somebody get 39. Be ready. Oh, if we get one reader, let's get one reader that can read. Read it in Greek. And, you know, Paul Crandall's back from seminary. Paul, you can be a reader. Uh, let's uh, take verse 37 through 40, and then 44, 45, 65, and I'll remind you. Start at 37. And if you'll underline in your Bible, who's doing this? Verse 37. What does that say, Paul? Yeah, yeah. Crandall? Sorry. 37? Yeah. I'm on it. All that the Father gives me will come to me. Whoever comes to me, I will not cast out. Well, just a moment. Okay. Who gives you to the Son? And what will the Son do with those the Father gives to him? And you remember, that's ume ekbalo. I'll absolutely never throw you out once you're in. He didn't say, I will never shut you out. He says, I'll never throw you out. So once you step through this door, Christ, you will never be thrown out. That's what Jesus said. Doesn't care what Calvin or Arminius said. This is what Jesus said. And he's the man going to the cross. He doesn't make promises he cannot keep. Verse 39. Paul? Do you want me to do 38 as well? Well, you might as well. All right, sorry. <laughs> For I have come down from heaven not to, to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that has been given to me, but raise it up on the last day. It is the will of the Father. Son, look at this. Son, I'm going to give you this child, and it's my will that you don't ever lose them. And when he prayed in John 17, he said, Father, I've lost none that you gave to me. I'm going to my death. I'm going to Gethsemane in John 18. I'm going to the cross in John 19. I'm going to be resurrected in John 20. And I'm going to meet Peter at the seaside in John 21. 
But by the time I go back to heaven, I will be able to say to you, I lost none of whom you gave me. I don't know who you are here, where you started in the Christian life. You know the way I know you're going to make it? The Son can keep you. It's not you, honey. It's what the Son's grip, the Father gave you to the Son. I don't want to put my money in the bank that they rob every week. I want to put my money where it's safe. And I want to know, can you be any safer than in the hands of omnipotence? You could actually get happy about this stuff. Most of you have never grown up where you can be happy, but you ought to get rid of all the wrong theology you had. It's joy unspeakable, honey. This stuff makes you get happy even if you're a Presbyterian. This is Bible. We're not making this up. We're not whipping it up. That's right there in the verse. Huh? You ought to amen it. If you don't, find a church that doesn't believe the Bible, and they'll preach you something. But the Bible says this. It is powerful. Keep on. Before I get happy myself, verse 40. Verse 40. For this is the will of, him, of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. It's the will of the Father that you believe in his Son. There's the will. I want to know God's will. Here's the Father's will. Have you believed in the Son? Let's go down to verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Wow, wait. You mean the day you got saved, the Father was the one involved in drawing you? Notice that. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me. And the word draws there means to overcome resistance. It was to drag a man into court like Paul and Silas. It was used of dragging in the nets from fishing. You always were overcoming something. And, and tell me, once again, I've said this to you before, what's the difference between the word can and may? No man can come to me versus no man may. What was that? Right on. If a kid said, uh, teacher, can I get a drink? She could say, I don't know, can you? Because that's really a word of ability. Can you walk? Can you get to the water? What you want to ask is, may I get a drink? I want permission. Here he says, you couldn't come unless the father got involved. And he got involved. And he drew you. He drew you in that day you came to Christ. You didn't know it. But it was the father bringing you to the son. Here's son. Here's a gift and a reward for your death on the cross. Another one has landed safely in your hands. Where was the father when you got saved? He was right there drawing, drawing. Um, let's, oh, let's go to verse 65, just kind of wrap up this. This is too, uh, too powerful. We get sidetracked. 65, somebody, Paul? 65? Yes, sir. Kai elegon dia tati You said Greek, right? Right, go ahead. Okay, no, I'm sorry. Okay, we'll do 65. Sean told me to do that, by the way. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted by my father. He's a smart Ellie. Pray for our youth department. 
Oh, that's great. That's great. No one comes unless the Father brings him. That's, you see, the Father, we're just getting a few verses. Romans 8, I don't even think. Let me read them out for you because we don't have time to keep on moving here. Uh, he says in Romans 8, he foreknew you, predestined you, called you, justified us, glorified us. In verse 31, you've got to see this. I mean, look, I'm lying, huh? I've gone back on my word. He loves us anyway. What then shall we say to these things? If God, and this is God the Father, is for us, 831, who can be against us? Well, everybody. But the idea is, who can succeed against us? Is anyone greater than the Father? But I think what's so beautiful here is when you come under accusation or people come against you, they got to take on your Father. And notice what he says. The Father says, hey, wait a minute. I didn't even spare my own son, but gave him up for us all, the believers in this context, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? What are you accusing me about, my child? I've already expended the death of my son to make this man or woman my child. I'm going to now renege and let you talk me out of my son's death. And then he says, I've already done the hardest thing anyone could ever do. I've sacrificed my son. If I did that for you, you could count on me to do the rest. Everything else is going to come because I've done the hardest part. Then he goes on. Who shall bring any charge against God the Father's choice? Who he chose. It is God the Father who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Well, it can't be Christ because he died and was raised. And he's at the right hand of God and he's interceding for me. He will never be accusing me. There's no accusers in heaven in the Trinity against you. You folks, you ought to be saved a few years like my brother, myself, and had a, we, we grew up on probation. You were saved as long as you could live it. And I found out after three months, I couldn't live it. Got saved in the summer. And by the time I went to Helms in the ninth grade, I backslid. And we always got saved in the summer and backslid in September. You can live for God in the summer. You didn't have to go to school with all those hoods and all the dances. Because I knew if I got saved, I couldn't be at all these dances and with all these girls. You know, no, no, because we're holiness folks. And God catches you smiling, he's going to make a rule against it. So, man, you had to be really careful. And so I backslid. I remember when I came to town, David, I remember I said, David, where do you think you're going? He said, well, you know where I'm going. I'm going to hell. I said, no, you're not, because I just come to see God's salvation forever. He said, no, I'm not. He said, Phil, don't be lying to me. I said, no, I was on Barrett Avenue. I was there. I watched you get saved. I know the night you got saved. You're saved. Phil, you're out of your head. I still drink. I love cigars. And I gave up this Christian life. I just can't live it. 
I said, I know you can't, but you're still saved. But the clinchers, when I told him, if I could seat you at the cross and Jesus would ask you, is there any more I could do for you? Then as his lip trembled as my father's used to, he said, that's unfair. That's unfair. Tell me I'm going to hell and I'll agree with you, but don't bring up Jesus. He's never done anything but good for me. Don't bring him into it. I said, he's everything that I'm talking about. Do you love him? I love him, but I can't serve him. I can't live up to it. I'm a failure. I'm a failure. I'm a failure. I said, I know it. Welcome to the club. Any failures in the house? Any sinners? I mean, thoroughbred sinners. <laughs> Thoroughbreds. I was telling, I was talking about picking on Frank. One time he came to me, he said, do you ever, because he could get introspective, he said, do you ever feel just so unworthy and uh, this and that, and you just don't hardly think you get in his presence. You just, and, and, and I was always the worst of the two, and I said, oh, hell, Frank, just tell him you're a sinner and go into his presence and say, I'm going to cash in on the cross. Amen. I'm not here to snow job you. You know me inside and out. I have, what a terrible thing to try to impress God and when he knows you, everything about you. You just come and say, you said you would save a sinner. I qualify. Just if you don't keep your promise, I'm lost. I don't have a chance. Wow. It's so, you know, it's Luther. Love God with all your heart and sin boldly. Don't sneak around. If you're going to do it, just do it. Because you see, you can't love him and want to work against him. Broke my brother's heart, brought him back. Brought him back. Because nobody told us we weren't on probation. If you're here as a born-again believer, you're not on probation. You're safe forever. And the sooner you figure out to live for him and walk with him and let him be God and Lord of your life, the sooner you'll enjoy the ride because he's a miserable God to outrun. He can outrun you, honey. He can track you down to the bottom of the Mediterranean Sea. If you're his Jonah, he's going to get you. This girl right here, I weep always when I think about Susie and my own daughter. Oh, they can sin. They can get wrong like any of us. And they went out there. I'm through. I'm broken. I'm a failure. But you've got the most stubborn father you've ever met in your life. This God is no abandonment of children, God. This God said, it cost me the death of my son for you to be my child. I will fight all hell. There's not a demon that can get past my hand. You're mine forever. And the sooner you learn that, now it's, I might as well get used to the family rules because he's not going to let go. Amen. And you can threaten every day, I'm running away. And you know, finally, your mom and dad say, go ahead. And about a block away, you say, where am I going to sleep tonight? <laughs> Did I pack a lunch? He said, no, you said you're going to run away. Now, you didn't know your mama was watching you. She knew where you were. Ooh, this isn't a good idea. And the sun's going down. I said, ooh, I was just playing, mama. I know you were. Because I would have come after you anyway. This is our father. And he said in 39, nothing could separate you from him. I, wanted, I just say four things about the father had to do 
in order to save you. Four things. First of all, uh, he had to provide a way to deliver you from his wrath. Because God, according to Romans 18, is angry about all sin. And ever since the fall, God has had a righteous anger and wrath against the way the human race chose to live. He brought a flood. He's brought death. He brought funerals. He brought the death of infants. Death all over the Bible after Genesis 3. And God, the first thing we got to tell people when we meet them is the first thing I want to tell you is God is angry with the way you've lived. He's angry about your sin. And if you don't run to him, you're abiding beneath his wrath. John 3.36. And Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn you. I found you condemned. So man's under wrath. So the first thing God has to do for you, how can I deliver this offender from my own wrath? And he said, my son will be a sacrifice that will appease my anger and my personal hurt that man has rebelled against me. So we call it propitiation. He satisfied the Father's wrath against you. I'm trying not to be emotional. I'm trying to teach. But it always slays me. Two, he had to deliver you from the bondage of your sins, for sin enslaves. Sin makes you a slave. I think of today all the slavery that people are living in. Uh, relationships, pleasures, the drug scene. I mean, I, I still stay amazed. Adam, you shall rule over all of creation. And in our day, creation is ruling over man. Even a plant, a joint, some opium, some cocaine is ruining more marriages. I've asked guys, what did you do with all the money? I snorted it up my nose. You mean a plant? You got where you had to live on what a plant could do for you? That's right. The plant world is ruling over men. That's the whole drug scene. Alcohol, cigarettes. They dictate I have to have them to live. What a topsy-turvy. God says, I want mankind to be over them. But in sin... Our slavery is every kind. Dysfunctional family, emotional wrecks. You know, it's just the results and the carnage of sin. They were all the results. My brothers had their birthday today. David turned uh, 85 and <laughs> Paul turned 78. They just, they both born three years. Oh, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> Carolyn, go, no. Uh, 75 and David turned, or Paul turned 78. They were born three years apart on the same day. And uh, why did they even bring that up? That has nothing to relate. That has nothing to do with it. Carolyn, you threw me off so bad. I was talking about sin, and then she sinned. No. Uh, God had to do something about his wrath, had to do something about our sins. 
And uh, God dealt with your sins uh, fully in his son. It's, it's really, it's almost incomprehensible, isn't it? I'll treat Christ like your sins deserve, and I'll treat you like you have his righteousness. I'll treat him like your sins deserve. So when did God ever deal with your sins? I can't hear too well. At the, oh, so does he have to deal with them in the future? Did he do a good enough job, or are there some hanging out there? It's finished. Jesus paid it all. That's, we call that good news. Good news. And now how does he treat you? As though you were his son, his righteous son, but he treated the son like it was you, and now he treats us like we're the son. It's not fair. It's really not. It's grace. It's grace. Then two other things. God had to give you a right standing with him, and that is he had to give you a righteousness, not your own. And uh, so we stand before God in the righteousness of Christ. It's what Luther called an alien righteousness. I have a righteousness, not my own. It's borrowed from another. He made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.30, he became unto us redemption, sanctification, justification. Philippians 3.9, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of mine own. A great verse that saved uh, John Bunyan when he's walking through a grain field one night and he'd been under conviction. And when he got in the middle of that grain field, he said all of a sudden Philippians 3.9 started going through his soul. And all of a sudden he thought, how could I be acceptable to God and all of a sudden, God made Philippians 3.9 go through him and be found in him, Christ, having a righteousness not my own, a righteousness that comes by the law, but I have a righteousness that comes by faith. And now I want to know him in the fellowship of his suffering and in the power of his resurrection, being made conformable unto his image. I have not apprehended all that I was apprehended for, but this one thing I do, I forget what's behind and I press towards the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Forget the past. It's forgiven. It's forgiven. You press towards the celestial city. I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven. The devil will bring your sins up, your failures, and beat you to a pulp. But I'm headed towards the city, and the load fell off. You remember Pilgrim? When he climbed the hill, when he got there, he said a miracle happened for the load on my back, when I saw a cross and an empty sepulcher, my load rolled off, and it rolled over to the sepulcher, and God put a stone over the mouth. He said, and all of a sudden, my burden fell off. Amen. Years I spent in vanity and pride. Caring not, my Lord was crucified. Caring not that it was for me he died at Cal. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. Anybody know it? Years I spent in vanity and pride. 
caring not, my Lord was crucified. No, not it was for me. He died at Calvary. Sing it. Open your mouth. Heard and there was multiplied to me. There my burden so found liberty at Calvary. I grew up when you can remember the song. When you can learn it. Get a song. Learn a few good ones. Learn a song you'll need to know when you bury your mother. Learn one when you're going through trials. And then, fourthly, the Father had to provide his life to take away spiritual death. Uh, I'm going to have to stop there. Uh, we'll, we'll pick this up, but what I wanted to do, I, I think we'll take some Q&A. This, this has been so plain, there can be no questions. But... Um, let me look at uh, Psalms 103. And we just got to do this. I was going to hand out notes for you on just Psalms 103. Let me just set it up for you and, and just show you the 11 things he says about the Father out of Psalms 103. Now, let me say something about it. Well, no, no. Look at it. Um, verse 6. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. Uh, he's going to do something. The verses that follow come right out of Exodus 34, where God says he's merciful, gracious. And, and what he's doing here, he's saying God has a failing family but the family has a compassionate father. Now watch. Now the setting is the Exodus. He brings up Moses. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Exodus 34. Guess what happened in Exodus 33 and 34? They, they made a golden calf and they were worshiping. Moses is on the mount. He comes down and they're worshiping this golden calf. God kills 3,000 of them. And in the midst of this, he tells them, I am a gracious, merciful God. I'm a kind God. Why do you do me this way? Now watch. I'm, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. Eleven things he says about him. One, verse 8, he's compassionate. And it means gut level moved. He's moved. The New Testament would say splatnoi. He's moved in his bowels towards us. 
He is gracious. Thirdly, he's slow to anger. Fourthly, he abounds in love. Fifthly, verse 9, he will not always accuse. Isn't that wonderful? You know why some marriages never get better? They're always accusing each other for the faults they had last year. If you don't forgive me for last year, I don't get a chance to get any new faults. We've been dragging the same dead cat for 20 years in our marriage and wonders why it stinks. You've got to let it go. You've got to let it go. Quit dragging the dead cat. Let it go. Let the poor guy do a fresh sin. At least stay fresh. He will not always accuse nor harbor his anger forever. Do you know some folks that have been mad for 10 years, bless his holy name? They stay angry. They don't get angry. They stay angry. And that's Ephesians 4. There's two kinds of wrath there. There's a quick boil wrath. Then there's a settled wrath. And I know some Christians, uh, the most dangerous men we have in this church are the passive aggressives. Yeah, they, they look nice, but they're dangerous. Because they can boil just like that, boom. And you never expect it because it's so nice going in. Others just stay angry. It will kill you. He said, God's not that way. God wants to settle the feud quickly. His anger is but for a moment, but his mercies are forever. He does get angry every day, he says, with the wicked. But he, he won't chide forever. He doesn't keep bringing it up. Isn't it amazing that your God has never brought up your sins once you've confessed them to him and believed in Christ? He never reminds you every day, you're a failure, you're a failure. I don't forget what you did yesterday. I want to remind you. That is not your father. That is the devil. He's the accuser. Your father says it's taken care of. Uh, he does not treat us as our sins deserve. What a verse. Verse 10. He does not repay us according to our iniquities. We should have had to pay. He said, I don't have to treat you according to your sins. Well, what are you going to do? Are you compromising? I treated my son like your sins deserve. I dealt with your sins in Jesus. I don't have to treat you according to your sins. Oh, he deserves justice. He sure does. I did too. And now I tell you, the justice of God has already dealt with me. But it was outside the city limits of Jerusalem on an old tree. And he was accursed, for cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. My God emptied a throne and died outside the city dump of Jerusalem. He dealt with me. But now that I believe, he says, the sin's forgiven, the debt's paid, let's have fun. Let's wait till you get to heaven, son. I threw a party when you got, son. Wait till you get to heaven and see how we party. What a day. That's what's coming. Jude says we land with exceeding great joy. That's going to be new for some of you. But he said, we're going to land that way. With exceeding. Some of you just say, oh, are we going trembling? No, we're going to go in dancing. Say, can't believe I'm in the place. And I'm going to look around and say, how did you make it? And they're going to say the same to you. By the grace of God, by the love of God, by the death of Christ, I'm here. I didn't even pay the rent. It's paid at the cross. Oh, well, uh, I just must stop. How, 
how do you put a tap it, uh, on the Atlantic Ocean? Uh, let's, let's talk a little bit about our Father, the Trinity. He's God the Father. Uh, he has this relationship to the Son, his relation to creation. And in the family of God, we didn't get to look at Galatians, where he does not deal with us as with slaves, but he has transferred us from under the law, as Israel was, from guardians, from even a jail keeper image that held us up in bondage. But now he's brought us into Christ, and he says we are treated like adopted sons, whereby we cry in Galatians 4, the spirit cries, and it's a word for strong crying, the spirit cries out from you, Abba, Father. That is uh, baby talk. That's dad-dad talk. Very, a child doesn't have to have a good vocabulary to move your heart. Just a dad-dad will pay the rent, right? And he said, you are treated like adult sons. And adoption in the Greek world, you see, you were all born children of the devil. So in order to get into God's family, he had to adopt you. Where he says we have eternal life and calls us children, he's emphasizing we got his life. John 1.12, you believe in him, he gives you the right to be called the children of God. But Galatians talking about something else. He's talking about privilege. And he said, in Christ, there's neither Greek nor Jew. In Christ, there's neither male nor female. In Christ, there's neither uh, free nor bond. There's neither slave or free man. He's saying, in Christ, all human social status, advantages or disadvantages are all removed in Christ. For the Father treats you like an adult son with privileges. And to be a young child or an adopted son, you could have a slave that was your school teacher or your guardian. But as you got older, at a certain age, you were then to be transferred from being a child that was cared for to a son that is the heir of the household, the heir of the property, and they had a formal recognition, a weophysia. We will formally place you as a son before all the household. You can no longer boss the boy, for the boy's become a son. He's no longer a child. He's become an adult son with adult privileges. God says this to you and I. I treat you like adults. You don't need the law. I'll give you the spirit. I'll give you faith. And I don't ever read the Ten Commandments to know how to live. I've got a relationship with God. In the Ten Commandments, I see his bias, his prejudice about sin, his boundaries. But my relationship isn't based on law. It's based upon this spirit in me that keeps saying, he's your father. He's your father. He's your father. He's treating you like an adult. Why don't you start acting like what you are? You're the adult sons of God. Women, you're sons of God in the Father's mind. You're in on the inheritance. You can get to the table and what he's done to show the male world that's run over you and dominated you. He saved two-thirds more women than he saved men because he always picks 
but people despise. And women are the most despised gender on the globe. God says, I'll show you men. I'll choose them. Black people, black slaves in Mississippi, only good to work in 105-degree weather in humid Mississippi. I've been in Mississippi. I was there in the 60s, and I was scared because I had California tags. And we went into a restaurant there. We were headed towards uh, Jamaica and Haiti to preach. We just got married at 65, and we're driving across the south, and Carol and I went in this one place, and I said to her, we're in the wrong place. We're, they, they think we like black people because we're from California. They didn't know I was going to Haiti and Jamaica, and everybody was black. Got pictures of Carolyn teaching black Haitian children in a banana plantation while I preached the youth camp. We were both 20 years old. I said, we need to get out of here. You know what God did? God said, I want to save millions of them. And they may still pick cotton for a white master, but in God, they're adult sons. They're at the Messiah's table with full birthrights. Someday they will reign with the Messiah. What men despise, what men hate, whether it's gender, social status, color, ethnicity, God says, I love. I will take the weak things to confound the wise. I had a guy get smart with me one time. He said, what, what qualified you to get in the ministry? I said, 1 Corinthians 1, 24, not many wise, not many noble. He's chosen the weak things. That's how I got in. I thank God, this father, if you're weak, your father will watch out for you. I had a dad that used to rub me my leg at night. I slept in a crib till it's nearly five of my broken legs and problems. But he would get up, it'd be my mother or my dad, and just rub, and he's working every day, climbing iron, and he'd go in and rub this hip, rub this hip until I could get to sleep. Those are some of my childhood memories. My old daddy getting up in the middle of the night and rubbing the hip until the soreness went away. Guess what? I got a father so far beyond my earthly father He's been there in every sorrow, every trial, every up, every down. We call him Abba, Father. Abba, Father. Father, we want to worship you. When I don't feel like worshiping you, when I don't feel like praying, when I feel like this world has taken over my heart, the spirit like a cork in the water keeps popping up and saying, Abba, Abba, I'm a child of yours. I'm a son of yours. This world doesn't know what I am yet, but we long for the day when you will reveal who the adult sons of God are, when you redeem our body and display us even before angelic beings. This is one of my adult sons that I bought at the cross. Oh, what a Savior, what a Savior. What questions do you have? Ten minutes. Any questions? I have a mic. Ask it pertinent to the subject. Don't ask me anything about your finances. Speak up, Peter. Okay. Uh, 
given in Isaiah chapter chapter nine verse six. I know, as you pointed out, Christ, the Father. Yes. Okay. Um, how do we explain, you know, the, the the portion that says, "He shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father," and we know that's usually speaking of Christ. But right. But right. That portion. First of all, see Frank after the service, because he went through Isaiah. Two, what I would guess it to be, he is as the source of all things. He's our creator God, too, as he fathered things. I would see it that way. Like the John 1, through him all things came into being. And I would see as him fathering all that came about. So it's used of the son in that sense, creator, as much as the father for both the Father and the Son were involved. But really, see, Frank, he'll, he'll give you some the right interpretation. Okay, someone else? Right here. Pastor, on the uh, predestination. Yeah. I know we are predestined, but you mentioned, yeah, how I, it, it's hard for me to wrap my mind around that when it says whoever calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. And then we're predestined. Is that something we're going to have to wait on <laughs> to find out? Well, uh, I think we can only know what he's revealed. Uh, the big mystery will always be why he chose what he chose. Because I wish God would have painted a yellow stripe on the back of everybody he planned to save. Then I wouldn't waste my time on anybody else. But we don't know. But I think what we can know is your birth, your life, as his child, there's nothing accidental about it, that he was thinking about you even, I mean, it's, it's hard to get a mind around, before the foundation of the world, he had you in mind, so the events, who you would be born to, who would evangelize you, all those events and all those chances, all those coincidences, as we call it, he was weaving this plan uh, to bring you to himself. I always uh, likened it uh, to uh, if you're going to take 80 to Sacramento, the path is already predestined. You get to drive whatever speed you want, and you get to pick your lane. We've we got certain freedoms within the will. We're not robots. But he's got the boundaries. He set horizons around us. And he said... Uh, and so it's to be a term of endearment for you as a child. I wouldn't tell an unsaved person, well, I don't know that you're predestined. Oh, that, that's the last thing they need to do. It, it's family truth. I got in this family by the choice of the Father so much that he even set boundaries around me before I was even thought of. You mean you thought about me in eternity past? That's what the Father says. So will he take care of you in time? I guess he was thinking about you in eternity. How can he forget you in time? So I would just, don't let Calvin or Arminius get you all. Just say, that's my family. That's one of my family descriptions. I may not have all of the theological tensions out of it, but I am predestined. And I want to say, hallelujah. And I'm not worrying about those that aren't. I, I, I can't figure that out, but I know it's true of me as his child. Someone else. Two more, and then we'll get ready to take the Lord. Do you think you could take the Lord's Supper and remember him after this? 
Have you heard of your salvation? A couple more. Are you here? I paid you to ask a question. No, no, he should know by now. <laughs> told him everything I know in 40 years. Charlie. Yeah, and we pray this. In order that we may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with the knowledge, or being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you, you may have a great, sorry, a great endurance and patience and, joy, and joyfully giving thanks to the Father, thank you, who has qualified you to share in this inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. Now, my question is, how does this man, me, practice, do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind? Were you able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will? I, I believe in forgiveness, but I am my worst enemy. I, I can't, I, you know what I mean? How do I get through this? Is that the question? How do you get to where? I didn't hear the whole question. How do I get through this? Oh. Uh, How can I be pleasing to God, transforming my mind? Uh, you, you trust, you struggle, and you fight the good fight of faith. It's a daily uh, reliance. Uh, there's no coasting. It's, you're in process always, and by about the time we think we've got it whipped, <laughs> something else pops up in our, out of our heart. So it, it's, the li it's amazing. In Hebrews, he says we've already been sanctified through the death of Christ. That's settled. But we've been assigned to pursue holiness without which no man shall see God, 1214 of Hebrews. So there's the practical side that you're in process, you're in the struggle, but we've got the spirit, we've got an attitude of faith. From my perspective, the spirit and the mindset of trusting the Father is the whole Christian life. All I can do is trust him for his infused power. He's got to furnish the power. I furnish the problems, he furnishes the power. And, and it's just the lifelong development of a believer. And uh, you know, in a way, it's good for us because we get so cocky when we have three days of total victory. It's just enough to keep you knowing I'm still saving a sinner. You never, you're not getting there because you got all whipped and all settled. Now, we hope you've quit the nasty nine sins, not robbing banks and, you know, know who to sleep with, things like that. But uh, they're, they're just, we've got to deal, you know, some days you know the only way you can live it is not get up, just stay in bed. But then you're still miserable because you got you. So uh, he has to become our joy, I think, the focus. And it is a mindset. Colossians 3, I think, starts giving you the answer. 3, set your way of thinking on things above where Christ, our life, is. And get your mind off of things. So you've got to do something with the mind. And you've got to set it above. Put to death those deeds of the body, covetousness, lust, immorality, Galatians 5, 16, but Colossians 3, 5. And put on compassion. Put on. You're not a naturally compassionate person. None of us are. Put on and just appropriate by faith these things God is saying. 
And you only get it, you can only do the imperative by relying on what I call the indicative. In Greek, the indicative is the mood of reality. Ask our Greek boy up here. Uh, it, it, it happens. And I keep resting on the finished work of, of Christ to get me through the present struggles. Because I wake up every day with a bunch of imperatives of things I ought to do. The only thing that gets me through it is I'm resting on what's been done. I know if I don't get any of the imperatives done, I'm saved, and it's based on the indicative. I died with Christ. I was buried with Christ. I've been raised with Christ, and that is a fact. That is a fact. And that I count on to say, why don't you start acting alive and enjoying your God? And I think the biggest thing is to make the Christian life positive. And that's what John Piper's trying to do. God is most glorified in us when you're most satisfied with all he is for us in Jesus. The question is, is he enough to satisfy you? When he doesn't satisfy you, you'll create some other idols to meet your needs. He's enough. He's more than enough. We better get ready. Let's sing and take communion. God bless you.